The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and breaking down what it means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, we'll dive deeper into artificial intelligence. Is the recently red-hot AI trade losing its sizzle? Looks that way in August. What are other practical applications AI might have across other industries, like industrials, infrastructure, and cloud services? Plus, we'll talk covered call ETF strategies, like those that Global X is using, which continue to pull in money. Here's my conversation with John Mayer. CIO of Global X, along with Todd Sohn, ETF and technical strategist at Strategus Securities. John, uh, your two big ETFs were huge outperformers in the first half of the year, but they've sunk in August. So what's the problem? Are we dealing with valuations? Are we dealing with interest rates? Is it China? What's the issue? Well, certainly performance is really strong. Interest rates are certainly causing the markets to kind of take a second look. But if you actually look at the components in some of these ETFs, and they work really nicely together, bots has uh, a large component of industrials. Industrials are uh, companies that can help other companies um, enhance their efficiency. You look at the CapEx cycle, it's been super strong. Companies are investing in themselves. So if you look at some of the key holdings in bots, Intuitive Surgical, Keyens, Dynatrace, those are gonna help other companies improve uh, in terms of automation, um, and I think that's something to really focus on. It's not really about all artificial intelligence. It's a component, certainly. Yeah, I, I want to focus on this because buy NVIDIA was the answer to every AI question in the first half of the year. But you, I, what I like about bots is there are broader potential beneficiaries. So, so the Robotics and Artificial Intelligence ETF has some su- suggestions here. I want to just go over them. Intuitive Surgical, and you're right, these are plays on if improving efficiency. I think that's a great way to talk about it. Intuitive Surgical, this is a, a robotic automation, right, for, for surgery. Yeah, healthcare surgery, and you know, AI plays into that. The more information, more data points you have will improve the overall surgery, and that will certainly feed into the technology from Intuitive Surgical. You also have other companies that have sensors um, and barcodes. Um, you know, Dynatrace and Keyence. Dynatrace does software in- intelligence in general, right? Yes. Uh, Keyence is uh, industrial automation, essentially robotics. Exactly, and Fa- Fanuc is another large component, which is Robot industri- industrial robots. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Todd, you, you watch ETF flows very carefully. Uh, there still seems to be interest in these AI ETFs, but other thematic tech have seen outflows this year as well. So what? It makes sense of this for yeah, us. There, there's inflows still in AI right. ETFs, but other kinds of thematic tech have seen outflows this year. Right, right. I think you know, bots has been a beneficiary of this, right? They've yeah. seen strong inflows as investors realize they need AI exposure, right? I'm mm-hmm. sure there are managers whose clients want the exposure to this theme because of its potential. But for the broader market, I think it's very odd and peculiar that tech ETFs have had outflows, right? The XLK, you talk about... ARC, the innovation suite, uh, has out of flows, that the behavior of investors is not in sync with the market, right? The NASDAQ 100 at one point was up 40% this year, yet it's not being embraced like it was back in right. 2020 or 2021. There's no euphoria this time around. But this is part of the, is. the keys of behavioral economics. People don't buy low and sell high. They, they actually do the, the opposite. So last year, 
ARC had inflows in a terrible year. Yeah. This year, August accepted, ARC's been performing great and it's had outflows. So how do you, I mean, am I look, right to look at this as a behavioral economics thing? I mean, why are people souring on ARC when it's had a good year? I, I, absolutely, I agree with you. I, I wonder if there are those who were burned, maybe they bought on the way up in 2020 and are now just trying to get out with this rally. Uh, perhaps trying to buy the dip last year, not realizing that we were in a very difficult environment between interest rates and inflation. And now they're saying to themselves, they're throwing in the towel. Let me look elsewhere. Let me, let me maybe perhaps go to AI instead, more strictly uh, exposed base there. I also think there's a recency bias. I think le- last year you would think there would be a follow through, yeah, there'd be a rebound. Uh, once the rebound occurred, um, then you know, you're getting a little further away from it, starting to realize what's going on in the world, China, interest rates, um, then, you know, perhaps you're pulling back at potentially the wrong time. So by recency bias, you mean individuals see what is immediately in front of their face, the, yes. most, the most immediate things. And when you start out the year, you're down 20 percent, you're starting to sell into it, thinking any, any rise is good. I want to get out. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, now, you have another AI ETF. It's a bit more mainstream. I want yep. you to talk about this. This is the Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF. AIQ is the symbol. But it's got you know, Amazon, Alphabet, IBM, Cisco, Meta, Adobe, Alibaba. Everything's 3% in the biggest. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a reason for that, right? There is, because there's a cap on the waiting upon the rebalance. So if you think about what drove the market this year, the Magnificent Seven, whether it be in the NASDAQ or the S&P 500, you don't have caps on them. They're market cap weighted. Uh, the price of NVIDIA goes up. It's got obviously a higher exposure in the portfolio. Upon rebalance in AIQ, while it has many of those same names, you get rebalanced to 3%. So you don't have a, as high of a concentration in those names. But those names are really important in the AI space because you think about what's driving AI, it's data. Data is super important. These large companies have exposure to data or the hardware component. And that's right now what AI is while we're trying to figure out yeah. where AI is going. And I, I think this is so important, Todd, that, that AI really is a play on efficiency. I would say productivity. Right. So all those people, and it's really just this, another new technology that exists where technology has been improving efficiency and replacing jobs for hundreds of years. You know, we saw this. I always like to joke when I was a college student, um, I was a telephone operator. And people would call into the building. I want to talk to room 210. I take a cord out, put it in. And that went away. That job, that was 50 years ago. That job was automated, out of existence. It was more efficient to do software than to have me stand in there plugging in. And this is what's happening now. Back office functions will get, come down. Um, software as a service has been doing this for 20 years already. So, for example. The, the, um, the interesting part of this, and John mentioned it with some of the companies in BOTZ, you're talking about productivity, is the industrials benefit. And I think that's an under-the-radar story. Everyone, not everyone, but most people believe AI is a tech play. Well, industrials as a sector have done very well over the last 10 months or so. And so I think you're starting to see that play out among the securities John mentioned and then other parts of the sector too. Yeah, there are, there are industrial companies like Eaton and Ingersoll Rand that are now considered sort of plays on improving efficiency. There are anything involved in industrial automation or power generation where you can, you know, more efficiently use products. Uh, and Ingersoll Rand and Eaton are part of that. And they've been moving up, outperforming, and I think partly on, on the perception that they can do better. You can get overweight industrials pretty easily. It's, what, 9% of the S&P 500? So if you wanted to skew towards that area, it's, it's much easier to do than 28% of technology. I still go to the problem of any pure play stuff that exists around this. Are, are, are there any uh, private companies out there that 
AI potential. Can you give me any names? Yeah, though, if you think about it, first of all, the, the AI space has been concentrated in those Magnificent Seven. So, and so there's a lot of a, uh, private equity money going into different companies. Now, one company that comes to mind is, is CoreWeave. That actually buys GPUs and rents out the space. So NVIDIA is selling to many of these large companies like AWS, uh, but AWS is a competitor. Uh, CoreWeave, they're looking for smaller companies where uh, they're giving the opportunity to other companies to use the G to buy the GPUs, to, to use the GPUs. I'm talking about NVIDIA. Is this a cloud business, essentially? Uh, I mean, is this like well, an it's, it's a mini AWS? It's a like? rental op opportunity, in a sense, yeah. for the GPUs. So smaller companies that can't buy, pay $40,000 for, or can't even get a GPU, are renting the space from CoreWeave. The revenues went from $30 million to $600 million in one year. A very, very, going to be a very profitable business. It's not going to be a standalone just to this company. Are they thinking of going public or what? Uh, I, I have no idea. I would imagine so at some point. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. Anybody yeah. else out there? That's a good one to watch, though. Um, within the cloud space, I mean, well, it's not necessarily private companies. Uh, Freshworks is one of the holdings in cloud computing, which is very important to um, AI, because if you think about what's needed for AI, AI, the data. Data component is huge. Where do you store that data in the cloud? So cloud companies can really benefit from the AI revolution and are. So GlobalX, I want to move on a little bit here. GlobalX launched some of the very earliest thematic tech ETFs. I remember having you on ETF Edge five years ago, 2018, 19, you did electric vehicles, you did drive, yep. uh, cybersecurity, uh, bug, you did cloud computing, CLOU, uh, and they're all down. In, in, in August. Again, I guess it's the same question here. Interest rates higher, uh, a little bit of overvaluation, maybe some China issues at, at all. What do you what do you do? Because a lot of people piled into this stuff. And this is the problem I have with thematics in general. Right. At the top, you pay a lot of money because the interest rate's high. Sure. And it tends to move down over time. And that's a, the problem with these long range. You know, this is Jack Bogle in me saying, yeah. you know, this stuff, Bob, long term, revert to mean. You know? Yeah, you, you know, thematics are, are an area that um, can move up fast and can move down. So we do say you should take a longer term investment horizon for thematics, five to 10 years. That being said, interest rates certainly impact the cost of capital for these companies, and that could reduce margins. But there are also secular themes that are undeniable. So you, when you think about cybersecurity, you look at Palo Alto today, where the, um, the stock is up a, a meaningful amount on earnings, um, revenue misses. Cybersecurity is super important to both cloud and AI. They all have to coexist in this ecosystem. Um, so that's important. Um, so you have to take a longer term view. Going back to electric vehicles, the electric vehicle adoption is happening. Um, you're seeing the sales of electric vehicles go up every single year. The chart goes like that. Um, will you get a, a negative quarter, a negative year? Certainly. But the directionally, it's moving in one way. Yeah, it's an important thing. Todd, any I, thoughts? I, I think thematics can be difficult to get the entry and exit right. But the silver lining is, let's say there's a, a name you like, whether it's a Tesla or a Rivian, but you don't want to get too concentrated. The thematic ETFs allow you to at least spread out that risk among the competitors. And so if the whole space starts to eventually work, then that's also to your benefit as an investor. Of course, the Jack Bogle would say, why don't you just buy XLK and own the whole technology true, true. space? But you, you may not have the, the right exposures you want there. You know, yeah. That could be dominated by Apple and Microsoft. Well, the small stocks might not. Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. So we'll just talk 30,000 point of view here. Where is AI heading? What, what's after 
hardware? Is it, is it really an infrastructure play? Is it software services? Um, how, how about AWS? Um, how about Amazon? How is it using AI? How is it being integrated? Well, I think we're in the early, first of all, AI has been around since the 50s. Yeah. What's new is that AI is now available to the, the public. ChatGPT brought it into our domain to talk about, you know, how are companies going to use it and, and use the technology for efficiency. And I think that's the real story is efficiency. It's going to be embedded to, into almost every business that we think of, whether it be from the, the law profession uh, to healthcare. Doctors can use it so efficiently to diagnose and, and prescribe the right medicines, it's going to take the time, that time away and provide that time for patients. Um, there's so many different uses for AI, and I think we're still in the stage of how do you effectively use it? And that's why you've only seen the kind of like these seven companies. I'll tell you what, what I want, and I've been waiting for 10 years, a personal digital assistant. I want, I want Bob.ai. Bob, personal <laughs> digital assistant. Uh, I'm, I'm going to Miami. What, what, what's the most efficient flight to get down there? I'm going to California. Can I fly into Santa Barbara? Stupid things yeah. like that. It's amazing how much time you spent chasing around little things about just managing your life. So I want a personal digital assistant to manage my life. Now, I know the risk is it's going to know more about me than I do eventually. Eventually, but, but I think that's happening. If you think about chatbots and how you go on, on some of these websites and they're so inefficient, and you're like, you get frustrated by the answers. Generative AI is going to make that they so much more efficient. They pop up all the time now. Can but, I, how can we help you? Yeah. But it's going to be so much more efficient because they're learning from these conversations, learning from your information. Too much information, maybe at some point. But it, we're going to be in a world where it's, it's either AI or not be involved. I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to be binary. Let me just move on here. Um, Todd, one of the more interesting flows to watch this year has been covered call ETFs. Now, yeah. these own an, an index like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100, and they sell calls. So you get a little bit of premium and some downside protection. So these ETFs, you have them, the Global X, XYLD uh, and uh, QYLD, yep. they're continuing to pull in money. But the funny thing is they tend to underperform in an up market, which is what we've got. So explain this to us, Todd. The, yeah, the, they, they have a dual Again, purpose, this is that behavioral right? economics problem I, I, I see here. Money keeps going in and up market. I, I would love to know the demographics of who owns covered call funds, whether it's the Global X, the JP Morgan products, or other ones out there. You're getting the income right each month and the protection against major drawdowns, right? Even though it's a little bit more low vol, you're going to tra trail in a major bull market. But that fits the profile of, say, an older investor closer to retirement, right? So I think that's the appeal of those funds for a lot of folks out there. So you think it's not just, they're probably aware that it would underperform and they just want some protection long term. They're buying like an annuity to a certain, yeah. Yeah, to a certain extent. They're buying, it's not really an annuity, but they're buying some protection in some way. Well, a cover call fund works best in a range bound market. You're selling your upside. Yeah. Um, and you're limiting your downside to the extent the premium received from the, the option premium. Now, some of the QYLD, XYLD yields are in the 12% range. That's very hard to give up, particularly for an older client, yeah. but you'd be surprised. There's a lot of younger clients who are actually buying these products. If you look on Reddit and TikTok, there's, there's kind of a cult following for some of these products. Because they the downside protection and they still have a high yield. The, the yield is really the story. Um, there's certainly da downside right. risk. But of they course. do understand yields are not magic money. This is the hard thing I have explaining to people. People somehow think that, oh, I'm getting a 3% dividend yield on my stock. It's like free money, but it's not. 
it's, it no, comes at an expense. Of course not. There's no free lunch. Yeah. But it's still hard to give up a 12 percent yeah, distribution. That, that looks like an amazing number. Like it looks like free money to a certain extent. People love income, especially when inflation is where it's at and expenses are going up every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me move on. Global X recently launched two actively managed uh, funds to invest in two of the world's biggest developing markets, the Global X Brazil Active ETF, the symbols BRAZ, and the Global X India Active ETF, NDIA. Tell us about these. This this is interesting. I, again, I'm not a big active guy, yeah. but these are two big, big markets. Sure. India is a huge market. You think about, yeah, there's $1.3 billion uh, people in that market. The middle class is moving up. Um, there, the barriers to uh, have factories in India is, is easier than some other countries. It's a politically friendly com- country to the West. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities in India. Um, the actual capital markets are a little more difficult to access, uh, but this is a space where we feel active is certainly a better and when place. When you say active, what's active about it? What ha- who's, who's managing this? We have a portfolio manager who's actually looking at analyzing individual companies within the space. And you're looking for what? What are the factors here? We're looking, we're looking for growth. We're looking for stability. We're looking for increased market share of, of, of you know, all the usual um, aspects you're looking for in a particular company. Um, so we think because of the demographics of the country, because of the political situation in the country, uh, we think it's, it's a great this, place this to The story be. makes complete sense. The problem is an efficient market. We all know this, right? But this year, emerging markets have had a tough time. I, I love the idea of active EM. Because the MSCI Emerging Markets Index is so warped right now due by, to the China? China, by China, it's yeah. it's become a it's a disaster zone at this point. So, I think if you're going to play international, particularly emerging markets, you have to do it actively. Uh, that benchmark doesn't work, and um, investors continue to allocate it still, despite it going nowhere for 15 years, despite the underperformance. And so, I think every issuer out there needs to be paying attention to what Global Extras did and looking at these as an active play at these markets. Doesn't it? But just to defend indexing, if you're just a China investor itself, the China market long term may actually do fine. It's decoupling now, and that's a major problem yeah. for the West, uh, for, for China investors. The, the stat I always like is China over the last 30 years has annualized at less than 1% per year. So you've basically made no money there. It's such a boom and bust vehicle. Now, I understand the story, the growth story there, but... Um, when you look at it statistically, it just doesn't really add up to the attention it gets. Yeah. Any thoughts on where we're going for the rest of the year in the the the, um, the emerging market space? Um, I think selectively in emerging markets makes a lot of sense. China certainly has a lot of headwinds, and so when you decouple from the major yeah. indexes, I think that's important. It's and easy that- to sell India as the outsourcing, you know, for the world here. It's moving from China to India. Vietnam is too small to handle computers. Maybe it can handle sneakers. It can do Nike, but you know, Vietnam can't yeah. handle. Apple, for example, only India can handle Apple. It, it all goes back to the CapEx story and the reshoring and the friendly shoring story. And India is certainly a beneficiary of that story. So, yes. Yeah. Well, let's keep an eye on all this, folks, because, uh, again, you, you have the emerging market issue, you have the strong dollar and you have the active. That's a lot of factors uh, that can affect your performance. But it's still interesting to follow. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of the podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation with Todd Sohn from Strategus Securities. Uh, Todd, thanks for sticking around. I wonder where you think we're at right now. We had a great run going into August. We're off 5%. I keep pointing out 
It's seasonally light volumes. I don't see anybody heading for the exits. I just see buyers not interested in buying more. I don't see heavy selling. I see the VIX at 17 or 18. That's not panic territory. So internally, I don't see a lot of, of cause for concern at this point. But there's an old saying, the first 5% is slow because everybody buys the dip, but the second 5% is often a lot faster because they stop buying the dip. Yeah, I think, I think this is a great spot where ETFs come into play because there are lens into the psychology of markets, right? And you mentioned the second 5%. Maybe that's uh, the catalyst that interest rates are starting to uh, hit right now, right? You have the tenure at 434 or so. That's a multi-decade high. And what I'm looking for is, are there more outflows from equity ETFs, right? August month to date, you've had about 3 billion or so in outflows from equity ETFs. That's pretty rare, right, with a week and a half to go. I want to keep an eye on volumes into leveraged short ETFs. I want to keep an eye on SPY volumes, right? That's going to be reflective of more anxiety coming into the market. We're not quite there yet, um, but the flow backdrop has cooled, which is helpful. That's uh, early signs of sentiment shift. And I would also just keep an eye on the amount of money going into cash-like bond ETFs. Last Thursday, you had over $1 billion into T-bill ETFs, which is very rare. So there again is that sentiment coming into play that people are getting a little bit more nervous here as the market starts to uh, continue. It is quite remarkable to me that there's so much money into these T-bills, money market funds still. I mean, you're getting 5%, yeah. but the S&P is, is up 16%. The, 15% this, this year, a rational investor would look at that and get FOMO, but I guess there's a lot of people out there that aren't that worried about it. I, I think you, when you look at headlines, as I think majority of investors do, they get scared and they go to the safety of money market funds. I think it's amazing that we're, we're almost six months since the regional bank fallout right, last March. Uh, there's been $750 billion in the money market funds since then. That outnumbers any other asset class by far. That's a uh, 15% change in assets under management for money market funds. That is one of the top readings in the 30 or so year history of money market data that I have. Um, now, if equities start another run higher here, does that money finally start to come out? I, I, I'm just not sure. I think ultimately it's going to take interest rates meaningfully lower before you start to see money really flow back into uh, stocks. So what happens for the rest of the year? I mean, a lot, we're all, everybody's nervous about Powell. He's going to be speaking Friday at the Jackson Hole conference. A month ago, everybody was thinking, well, he's going to be on the dovish side. Hopefully, we'll get some guidance on we're done this year, or maybe even talking about when they might feel the need to cut rates. And now that's all changed because of the strong economic data. There are people who worry he's going to sound just as hawkish as he was at Jackson Hole last year, where he yeah. basically came out and said, y'all don't understand what we're doing here. We're going to keep raising rates. And now he's going to say the same thing, except he's just going to say, we're going to be higher for much longer than you people think. So that seemed to be a big problem. We're in a news vacuum. He's the only thing on the plate for the next couple of weeks. So when, when you are in these corrective phases, any sort of negative word or a negative connotation is enough to, to upset the markets. And that, that's the potential for later this week. The market will dissect every single word that the chairman says. Uh, but I, I, would, I would zoom out. And consider that we're 10 months off the October lows for the S&P 500. Uh, trends are ultimately firmer than they were a year ago, right? It is a bull market. When you start to get oversold conditions in bull markets, that's typically when you want to step in, right? It can be hard to time those, the entries and exits of this. Um, but I, I think we should remember where we just came from. The NASDAQ 100 was 
up 40% at one point. It was 25% above its 200-day moving average. That is historically rare, and you can get speed bumps like we are right now. But it also does mark major, major lows over the course of history when you get that stretch from trend. So I, I think that's say, what say it is. Say it again. What, when you, it marks a low when you get what stretch? When, when you are 25% above the 200-day average on the NASDAQ 100, that's an extreme level reading. And it's marked every low going back the last 40 years that that index has been around. Now, you can get short-term speed bumps, mean reverting plays. But I think investors need to keep that in mind as this conference comes up. So, I, I'm sorry, because I think you said something important here. When you are 25% above the, the NASDAQ 100, 200-day yeah. move, which has happened yeah, recently. Yeah, happened earlier this summer. That's a top usually, and that's exactly what's happened, right? Yeah, a short-term top. In but the beginning it, of, but of it's August, also, you mean it was. Yes, but it also is consistent with coming off of important market lows like we did back in October or in March 2009 or 2003. You mean the market overshoots. It just keeps... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You overshoot. There's this emotional response that we've, we've made it out of the woods, uh, and then you get a little bit of a shakeout. And ultimately, once that shakeout ends, you should resume higher. And then let's, let's take that into account once we get into the fourth quarter. The seasonal backdrop gets better. Uh, we'll see where the economic data is. We'll see how the Fed talks. But ideally, things should be an asset for the bulls then. And w- when you're giving advice at Strategus on, on ETF allocations, how granular do you get? We just had a big discussion with John Mayer about thematic tech ETFs, which was all the rage in 2016, 2017, and 2018. Yep. And it sort of died down a little bit because, well, because they're four or five, six years old as a story. I'm talking about cloud computing, talking about cybersecurity, I'm talking about autonomous vehicles. So a lot of the early hype is done. And this is the problem I have with these with the ETF business in general. They top, they jump on the newest fad, you're buying in at the top, and, and then interest wanes over time. Yeah, and that is a liability of thematic ETFs, is timing yeah. when to play them correctly is really challenging. And there's so many out there now that, okay, well, do I buy cybersecurity? Do I buy EV? That's really hard. I, I think their, their benefit is to complement a portfolio. If you have a client that says, hey, you know, I, I do want the EV or the cybersecurity exposure because there's companies that aren't in the S&P 500 there. That's the benefit for the long run. Um, yeah, I see but, that benefit. Small companies that aren't in the S&P 500 that are harder to get exposure to makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, or even international, too. You think about some of the robotic ETFs out there, they have plenty of uh, non-U.S. companies. Okay. Todd Sohn, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate your thoughts. Todd Sohn is from Strategus, and thank you for listening to the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.